really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. Uh, One of my other favorite things, by the way, is hearing from you, the listeners. So if you'd care to get in touch, you'll find it's very easy to do so. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. I'm also like an inch away from diving in and getting TikTok. All gods help me. So if you're a new listener, we have the same format each and every week and have had for the last 60 unbroken weeks now. And that's, of course, the introduction that you're hearing right now. Current updates, which is just stuff happening in my own life personally. Then we'll look at at least one story from that week's rugby news. Then most weeks, we'll do my thoughts of the week, which is pretty self-explanatory. Then, of course, we do our reviews. That's the main part of the pod. That's the reviews of all the action from the weekend that I was able to cover uh, before giving out our weekly award for the player of the week that we call the Diamond in the Ruck Award. And uh, after that, we get into our previews of the coming action and any relevant updates on league tables, overall competition news, and so on. So, obviously, there was a lot to get to this week, so let's get on with the show. So starting with current updates, you know, so I took my son to the local Red Sox affiliate. Uh, I instantly regretted not doing so sooner. It's the the Worcester Red Sox, or the Woo Sox, as I refuse to call them. It's literally 18 minutes away from my door. Uh, Believe me, there will be many tales from this place once the next season comes along. What a treat. There's an elevated train, by the way, that runs right behind the stadium. And at one point when a commuter rail came by, it really loudly honked its horn, and the stadium announcer just said, Hello, train, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, anyway, we got to see a triple. We got a, to see a couple of sweet double plays. It was just, it was awesome. And by the way, the guy on my left, I swear to you, he was watching the Boston Red Sox on his phone while in his seat at a Worcester Red Sox game. I mean, what? Like, naturally, he was glued to his phone until the crowd would cheer or something, at which point he'd look up having totally missed it. Good job, buddy. No, as I'd say, it's kind of scary news this week. In fact, uh, not good news at all. Um, Though, I got to say, in the long run, I'm really glad his doctors did find this when they did. So I'm talking, of course, about France center Varimi Vakatawa, who, and I'm quoting from an article linked in the show notes, quote, is not allowed to continue playing in France because of a heart condition. It goes on, Vakatawa is suffering from a condition likely to put him at risk when playing high-intensity sports. According to racing team doctor uh, Sylvain Blanchard, a member of the French League's medical commission who said the problem was first detected in 2019. Quote, when, uh, when he was being monitored, it became clear during the last examinations that his pathology has evolved, so much so that cardiological experts were called in to assess the situation, Blanchard said. Uh, the opinions were unanimous. We should not take the risk of letting him continue to practice high-intensity sports, unquote. The 30-year-old Vakatawa, who has Fijian roots, made his uh, France debut in 2016, has played more than 30 tests, He's only barred from playing in France. It was unclear whether he would try to play abroad. Quote, it's hard for me to talk in front of everyone, unquote, Vakatawa told a news conference on Tuesday. 
quote, I got up at 8 a.m. this morning and I knew I wouldn't be on the pitch. The hardest thing to do was to tell my teammates yesterday that I had to stop playing, unquote. France coach Fabien Galtier, who attended the news conference, was in tears. You know, this whole thing is just a huge gut punch. But as I say, let's hope that years from now, when he's found a healthy and happy new life, Akatawa might just might think to himself, I'm so glad they didn't let me keep playing. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and you know what? My thoughts this week are all about the absurd amount of rugby that is now afoot with the NPC about halfway through, the Prem starting back up this week, the URC the next. Plus, suddenly, I have at least moderate access to the top 14, which is a league I've been dying to watch for years now. So what I'm getting at is I'm trying to keep the, the weekly pod to a reasonable length and if i go into depth on all the usual stuff plus competitions like the top 14 the super six the upcoming women's world cup not to mention the uh, rugby europe super cup which suddenly appeared out of nowhere and has me utterly fascinated i mean y'all would definitely stop listening believe me the show would be like two hours long twice a week or something so i've decided to highlight a small number of matches from the leagues currently in action and just do scores from the other fixtures in an effort to keep, sort of keep things more succinct um if you're interested in my spending more or less time with any particular competition well you know what to do just reach out and let me know i am always open to new suggestions So moving on to our reviews, and of course, we're going to start with the FPC. It was finals weekend in the Farrah Palmer Cup. It's been an incredible season. This was the first time I really got to watch all of this action from start to stop, and it was fantastic. I can't wait for next year already. As I say, it all came down to this finals weekend. The excitement was palpable in both the remaining fixtures. So, you know, for the undercard, of course, it was unbeaten Otago Spirit hosting the Hawks Bay Tui. And after being runners-up the last two seasons in a row, Otago would be feeling a lot of pressure. And uh, this one, you know, it had everything you could hope for, scintillating individual play, a seesaw lead all game long. It was tied at 17 at the break as Emma Dixon, who has played 137 matches for Hawks Bay, went off just before the third quarter. It was to an enormous ovation from the incredible and lively crowd. Just awesome stuff. O Otago, they held a slim three-point edge and to me started to look a little nervous. Maybe that pressure was finally starting to tell. Uh, the last five minutes have been electrifying, opined the comms, and I had to disagree because did they not you know, watch the other 60 leading up to that? It was awesome. Anyway, then a huge moment, Otago getting yellow carded, and within seconds, Hawks Bay capitalizing, and now we were truly down to the, uh, the wire. I began to worry my prediction might be right for a change. So it was five minutes to go, and the home team behind by four. Absolutely nail-biting play. Then calamity as Hawks Bay got another penalty in position to wind the clock down to maybe a minute or less. I was dying for Otago to break the curse here tonight. Oh, oh my word. Then what an ending, everybody. Otago, they were driving within, I would say, inches. A wide open group out to the right with the clock already gone red, but a knock-on. Oh my word, the timing. Just so awful, a knock-on. And just like that, Otago's spirit was again crushed. 20 to 24 with the magpies, the magpies, uh, you know, the jubilation, the celebration. It was incredible. Winners of the Fair Palmer Cup 2022 championship trophy. Well-deserved, I have to say. What a competition. And, you know, this wasn't even supposed to be the headliner game. We still had the big one coming. Anyway, Otago, hard luck. Next year, you can finally break through. Let's do it. Moving on to the premiership, of course, in the top division, it was also unbeaten Canterbury 
welcoming the, welcoming the Auckland Storm to Christchurch and looking for their fifth consecutive title. By the way, out of 24 finals, either Canterbury or Auckland have won 21 times, which is bonkers. Canterbury, they wasted no time getting on the board, up 10-0 after a paltry six minutes. And while it was very early, I don't know, all signs looked bad for Auckland. Of course, everything calmed down as soon as I wrote that, and it was an entirely reasonable 13-7 going into the break. <laughs> Naturally, no matter what I wrote, they would contradict me. So they managed another 18 points in just a quarter of an hour in the second half. Man, oh man. Side note, by the way, Kendrick Coxage moved into the second place all time for tries scored in the FPC with 68. What a player she is. More on her later. As it stands, she has announced she's retiring after this upcoming World Cup. She will clearly be missed. Anyway, heading into the final quarter, my initial assessment of Auckland having no real chance looked spot on, frankly. The home team ahead by a whopping 41-7. to Youch! Auckland, they managed a uh, consolation try right at the very, very end, setting off the palindromic score alert, of course. 41-14 to would be your final score. Canterbury weathering the storm rather easily for yet another title just incredible what a legacy and fpc as i say i can't wait to see you again next year so switching gears and hopping over to the premiere of the gallagher premiership of course bristol versus bath and sale versus northampton were both postponed from the friday to the saturday but somehow you know this fact caused them to disappear entirely from peacock so goofy me i went looking to see if they had been rearranged again but naturally they hadn't and I ended up seeing the scores before figuring out a way to watch either of them. It's, it's too bad because it looked like both were pretty exciting contests. Bears ahead by a single point at the half and two at the end, beating Bath just by the two points, 31 to 29, while Sharks were up seven at the half and the same at the end, also winning their home opener, 29 to 22 at the end. Then, of course, Exeter versus Leicester. This was the, one of the games I chose to highlight this week, in large part to get a gander at the new branding for the Chiefs. Uh, you know, when Exeter made that enormous decision to change things, I was lucky enough to have a chat with one of the people behind that very movement, Exeter Chiefs for Change. If you missed it, you should give it a listen. Elena was brilliant. In any event, the comms were quickly in full flight with Jimmy Gopperth, gold-plated, gold standard edition, with no further comment after that. I have no idea what they meant. Gopperth, by the way, looked almost old enough to be one of Danny Kerr's great-great-grandchildren. And you know what? With the first out-of-nowhere and completely unwarranted Dan Kerr's old joke, I feel like the Prem is fully back. 17-6 was the score for the home side at halftime. Tigers, however, remembered who they were, poured it on in the second half, taking a 17-20 lead. And as we approached the closing moments, uh, at the very end, they decided it was all or nothing, going for a line-out as the clock went red rather than kicking for a draw, and boom, there it was. Exeter smashed one through with no time left to win it at home, 24-20, as the idiotic Tomahawk chant rang throughout their stadium. I mean, give it up already. So gross. I don't even get it. Anyway, London Irish versus Worcester was next, and you all know me by now. I am constantly rooting for the underdog, so naturally... I was hoping for some sort of miracle performance, like maybe the beleaguered Warriors would somehow show up with all this anger and frustration pent up and just lay it all out there. And of course, that's not how things usually go in real life. They took a pounding. They were down 31 to nil with only a quarter hour left. Just an inauspicious beginning for a season that might be the end. Uh, quote, it's been a chastening day for Worcester, unquote, said the comms. And uh, the Exiles would win easily at home, 45-14 to 14 by the final whistle. Next up, of course, was Newcastle versus Harlequins. And I swear, during the moment of silence, 
at least a quarter of the players looked like they were in trouble, like like they were waiting outside the principal's office or something, like they're going to get told off by the teacher. It was kind of funny. Also, by the way, Luke Pierce, a ref I particularly like, who was tasked with this particular contest and who is usually just immaculately groomed, he looked like he just finished, a, I don't know, an eight-mile walk of shame from like a two-day orgy or something. Luke, my friend, where have you been? In any event, Newcastle, uh, they continued their tradition from last year, suddenly looking really good just when you thought they were a walkover, while Quinns, down for quite a while, finally regained ascendancy at the 45-minute mark with a much-needed try, making it 17-21. to By the way, I don't know why I think this is funny. I was telling this to my partner, and she was like, yeah, that's only funny to you, but I'm going to give it a shot. So, the, uh, you know, of course they use the, the big old screen that with the huge, respect the kicker at the appropriate times. And I suddenly fantasized about being there just as the kicker goes into his motion, just screaming, respond to the conquer. I feel like that would absolutely make any kicker just lose it. So if any of my listeners are attending Falcons games this year, please, please try that when the opposition is lining one up. Tell me what happens, okay? (laughs) Anywho, uh, it was still a narrow margin heading into the final quarter of play. Newcastle making it 24 to 28 with a conversion. And then Mulapola smashed one through for the home team. Quote, a rare thing indeed, unquote, said the comms. And they were back up by three. But then, oh my word, as sure as the tides, it was Alex Dombrandt, my my greatest man crush of all time, powering through for a to retake the lead score. Quinns were up by four with three minutes left. And then, holy cow, for the bonus point, it was Marchant dotting a stolen try down to the left corner ending Newcastle's early season dreams and showing some grit along the way. 31-40 to 40 was your final score. What a match. Last for this weekend in the Prem, of course, Gloucester versus Wasps. It was a classic tale of two halves. The Cherry and Whites getting shut out at home. At halftime, it was 0-21. to 21. But then Wasps in the second half couldn't score even a single point as Gloucester. They roared back eventually, taking a victory at King's Home 27-21. What a comeback. Could this be Gloucester's year? So pivoting back to New Zealand and the NPC round five slash six. So of course, to end round five, we had my lovely little midweek match, which I love. It always seems weird, but I'm just loving it. You, You know, you tend to forget about it. And then sometime on Thursday, you're like, oh crap, I have a whole match to watch. It's awesome. So this one was, of course, Tasman versus Wellington. And after Wellington got a non try awarded as confessed by the TMO, in fact, in the moment, they, they just got serious momentum after that. And despite, you know, a semi-comeback by the Mako, they would win away 19-25. to 25. Always so nice to have that little present game each week. And we're already at the halfway mark, by the way, for this year in the NPC. I'm already missing this league. Sounds ridiculous, I guess. Anyway, round six started up in earnest on Friday with just the single matchup, Waikato hosting Auckland. And it was an absolute cracker. Just so much great rugby just already this weekend. Though I suppose the score wouldn't look as exciting as all that. Um, it's weird. Somehow, maybe you've experienced this too. Like it felt so, so tight all game long. Maybe it's the history or, you know, between these franchises, the stakes involved, it just felt close. But in the end, it, it frankly never really was unbeaten. Waikato defeated their storied rivals 30 to 15 in Auckland or in a bit of a skid right now, if I'm honest. Then of course, Hawks Bay attempting another defense of the Ranfurly Shield, this time against Southland. And of course, they were heavy favorites coming in. If you've been listening, you'll you'll know I'm riding the wave of Hawks Bay and their ongoing defense of the Ranfurly Shield. But today, I mean, Southland, they, they look utterly rudderless this year. And of course, the underdog fan in me was dying for a crazy upset. Imagine if a winless team stole the Shield right out of the clutches of one of the league leaders right now. Anyway, 
After 20 minutes, the home side led, but it was only 12 to 7. And then Brad Weber, uh, about whom I have expressed, let's say, ambiguity. Uh, he threw a move on a defender I've never seen him pull before. And whisk, he was out. Uh, he was out there to fatten the lead. Great stuff. Uh, side note. It was great to see Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec uh, assuming the duties of the lead official. I had no idea he was so fit. Anyway, um, Marty Banks, he wasn't about to let it all slip away for his side. However, and he kept it close, converting a try to make it 1914 just prior to the half hour mark. But before I finished writing that last bit, Banks made it 1917. And I was seriously getting my hopes up for the Redonkey upset. But, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Hawks Bay just caught fire in the second half it was 38 to 17 at only the 50 minute mark and it would end a ridiculous 69 to 24 and bill and ted rejoiced next up was of course north harbor versus bay of plenty and we're up 10 to 24 at the half both teams would score 24 in the second half preserving the win for the visitors 34 to 48 for the <laughs> Counties Monaco and uh, versus Manawatu was next. At some point, though, this one disappeared off the replay roster. I have no idea what was up with that, but not one single minute was actually available to watch, sadly. After the fact, of course, I went and looked and discovered that it was a massively high-scoring affair, the home team getting it done in the end, 41-33. to Wow. Next up was Tasman versus Taranaki, and it was... Ooh, it was absolutely stunning out. What a day. And while Taranaki did score first, the home side, they just exerted control soon after that. They were up 14-3 to when my guy, Jesse Peretti, got taken off for an HIA, and he looked greatly displeased about it, as was I. Let's hope everything is all right with him. I, I'd hate to see him missing any time. So it was 21-6 to at halftime. We were almost at 55 minutes before Taranaki would grab their first try of the day, they would pull within eight before the Mako seemed to wake back up, and it was 38 to 27 when all was said and done. Next up was Wellington versus Otago. That was the Saturday night one in uh, in New Zealand. This matchup was huge. Both these teams likely going to be vying for the fourth and final playoff spot in five or six weeks. It was also battle the battle of the Umaga Jensen's with Thomas on one side and Peter on the other. You gotta love that extra wrinkle. So these teams were tied on the points table before Wellington's Wednesday win. On paper, it should have been as close as it gets. Of course, as they say in the NFL, they don't play these games on paper. And in this one, as the first half wound down, the home side was up big. With the added salt in the wound of a yellow card against Otago for an intentional knock-on right at the buzzer. Of course, naturally, as I was writing that, Wellington got a yellow card of their own for too many infractions down by the goal line. And with the clock well past 45 minutes, Otago answered to make it 26-14 to and more reasonable going into the break. Otago, naturally, they, they were not intimidated and drew back within six as we approached the 70-minute mark. In a cruel twist of fate, by the way, both Umaga Jensen's were injured during the course of this match. I hope both, uh, you know, situations turn out to be minor for sure. Indeed, Peter would actually stay on the pitch, though Thomas's night was over relatively early. In any event, it was down to the very end, and Otago just didn't have quite enough, falling 32-26 to 26 in an instant classic Next up, and finally, Canterbury versus Northland was the last weekend match. Obviously, there will be the Wednesday finishing fi uh, fixture for the round, but again, another awesome matchup with larger implications here. Northland were on a 4-1 to one tear at this point, but you just can't count out Canterbury. I mean, come on. So I've noticed Billy Ketchup is nailed on as the starter at 9. I think that means that they think he means business, or something like that. <laughs> My original uh, version of that sentence was much more convoluted, which I thought was really funny, and then I realized, once again, I'd probably be the only one to get that. Anyway, 
as they say outside of Greater Boston, irregardless, it was a single-score game the whole way. And early in the second half, it was Canterbury with the edge, 17-10. to 10. Not exactly a shootout, but shortly afterwards, Fergus Burke, a name I've uttered many a time here this season, uh, he pegged another three to make it 20-10. to 10. Quote, you can just see Canterbury starting to take it up a notch, unquote, said the comms. And sure enough, Canterbury went on a two-try-to-one swing. They were doubling up their guests 34-17 to 17 with a couple dozen minutes on the clock. And then two scores later, it started to, as the comms said, reflect the ruthless side of a team like Canterbury. And it was 46-17 to 17 with five minutes left. Would they pile on a few more? Uh, thankfully, the answer was no. But nevertheless, it was a bonus point win uh, for the home side in a statement win and an incredible weekend of the NPC. So good. So back to Europe and France in particular and the top 14 for round two. And we started with the battle of the L teams with Lyon hosting La Rochelle, a match that features Uini and Antonio, one of my personal favorite players after coming across a, like a BBC article about his love of Shakespeare. I mean, well, that plus he's a freaking monster for, for La Rochelle and for France. So with a quarter hour to go, La Rochelle were in firm control already, 7-20. to 20. Lyon, they came storming back, but would still fall at home, 21-23. to 23. That one kind of hurt. Next up was Perpignan versus Brive. It was a no-try affair until the waning couple of minutes, when the visitors, already up four penalties to two, finally got one over. 6-17 to 17 was your final tally. Not a good opener for the home side, for sure. Next up was Bayon versus Racing. I have never seen such a bizarre switch kit, as I think they call it, as Racing 92s. I mean, oh my word. Also, for the first time ever here on the Scrum of the Earth, I'm not going to complain about the lack of comms on the rugby uh, on the replay broadcast because it, it actually made me feel less crazy about watching the World Cup 7s on a second monitor with the sound on, and that way I got to listen to my friend Dallin Stanford, my favorite commentator on Earth. Side note, the World Cup 7s was so awesome. If you have Peacock, do yourself the favor of watching literally as much of it as possible. You'll feel like you're there for the party. All gods know I wish I had been there. Also, to be fair, the commentary came in during the second half, which was nice in any event. Uh, but anyway, Missed Opportunities was the name of the game in the first half of this one, with the teams limping to an 8-6 to six home lead after a half hour or so, getting a bit of momentum despite Finn doinking one off the, point, uh, off the posts at the very break. It was 8-18 to 18 getting into the second stanza. Uh, Bayon found a bit of momentum late, however, and took a nice seven-point lead with only 10 minutes to play. By the end, a shocked Rassing surrendered 31-25. to 25. There was already drama on the league table. Gotta love it. Next up was Claremont versus Poe. Uh, this one was a, a blank, soundless screen. Enough said about that. The final score, though, being 33-24 to 24 for Claremont. Next up was Cast versus Stade Francais. It looked like a big mismatch, uh, the home side tripling up the visitors heading into halftime. Though the visitors did claw back to make it 30-20 to 20 with just under 10 minutes left. Uh, and after a mighty kerfuffle, that was how it would end. Next up, second to last, it was Montpellier welcoming the uh, Bordeaux Begla and Montpellier. They, they were not mucking about, as they say, laying a 29-7 to 7 pasting on their guests just by halftime, uh, though they wouldn't score a single point in the second half. It wouldn't matter in the end, though, however, Bordeaux only managing 12 during that same period, so 29-19 to 19 at the buzzer in favor of Montpellier. Finally, Toulouse, uh, Toulouse versus Toulon. I almost did exactly what I've been warning you about. Uh, that was the final fixture of this weekend. And, you know, for me, we ended up with more of a whimper than a bang. Toulouse, hey, look, let me, I got it right. Uh, they were up 20 to 3 at halftime. Each team got only 3 and 5, respectively, by the closing 10 minutes. So 28 to 8 was how the top 14, as they are saying, 
would conclude its second round. And from, you know, the, I guess, 50% I've been able to see, it's really been grand so far. I have to admit, I am loving it. And quickly checking in on the Super 6, there was originally supposed to be a match between Southern Knights and Ayrshire Bulls, but it was called off out of respect for the passing of the Queen. Um, It says it's going to be rescheduled, but I obviously don't know when that will be just yet. By the way, I mean... For whatever it's worth, I was really sad about the Queen's passing. She, you know, she's obviously been an international icon since long before I was born, and I don't know. I've just always kind of had a soft spot for her. I've always thought well of her. Um, what I don't get for sure is Americans obsessed with the royal family and all the tabloid nonsense, but somehow she just always seemed above all that noise. So, you know, at least for me, rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth II, England's longest reigning monarch. <laughs> Well, my friends, by that music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Kendra Coxage. Miss Coxage, you are the most capped black fern of all time and an absolute titan of women's rugby. For your 100th cap for Canterbury, all you did was lead your team to yet another title in the FPC Premiership, dominating the opposition on both sides of the ball. There just couldn't have been a more fitting end to your illustrious career with your club. I can't wait to see you tearing things up in the World Cup right around the corner. Kendra Coxage, congratulations. Sincere, uh, sincere thanks for your incredible career. Enjoy all the spoils and accolades that accompany this, this most prestigious of awards for you. Are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well, well done. So, my friends, that brings us to our updates and previews for the upcoming action. Of course, the BNRC gets ready for its final duels, including Game 1 of this year's Bledisloe Cup, with every single team locked at 2-2. Two two. By the way, that first Bledisloe matchup, Thursday this week. Kind of wackadoo. I've read all about why that is, but uh, either way, it just seems totally bizarre. Anyway, I heard some great chat this week about how wonderful it is that these teams are so close right now, and I felt like, oh yeah, duh. I've spent a ton of time complaining about the the lopsidedness of this tournament for several years now, and that can just no longer be said, I guess. I've finally come around to the fact that this might be the best iteration of this type of competition that I've ever seen this year. So I understand the arguments that there have been a couple of blowouts, but none of those have been ridiculous. And the fact that we're completely even right across the board heading into the fifth round, I mean, let's face it, that's, that's pretty cool. A side question here, and I know, It's always hard to take my question seriously, but I'm honestly looking for some math help with this one. So this year, and from what I've read, at least the next three years, the Bledisloe Cup matches will be two instead of three. So for several years, I've been hearing Aussies sort of saying, uh, the comment I keep hearing is like, well, it sucks to get pasted three times a year, and I wish it was two instead. But I feel like there's a little more parity now and here's what I don't get about the math. If it's unlikely that Australia is going to win, don't you want as many chances as possible? You know what I mean? Like, so if the bled is low was in a neutral location right now and nobody had it, then I could see sort of, okay, well, two matches, if we split them, nobody gets it. Nobody gets bragging rights, but it belongs to New Zealand right now. And now with only two matches, Australia have to win two in a row for this year, the next three years, just for any hope of getting it back at all. 
don't you want three shots at it? If you have what, uh, 35 or 40% chance of winning, don't you want to roll that die three times instead of only twice? Uh, anyway, maybe I'm missing something really obvious about that, but it just seems like a strange thing to me. Anyway, so back to reality in the actual BNRC. Well, of course, as I said, start with Australia hosting New Zealand on Thursday, followed by Argentina back on their suddenly deadly home turf, taking on a really hard to predict South Africa. If you have a strong opinion about that, how that one will go, you know, I think you're probably fooling yourself. And also, please let me know what you're thinking, because I would love to hear a hot take. Anyway, back over in the English Gallagher Premiership, it'll be round two. We'll have Northampton versus London Irish, Bath versus Sale, Harlequins versus Saracens. Ooh, that's that's juicy. Uh, Leicester will face Newcastle. Wasps will be taking on Bristol. And barring any financially administered ma- mandates, we will hopefully see Worcester at home taking on Exeter. Oh, gosh, that's going to be rough. And then, you know, wow, I'm honestly surprised how psyched I am about this. We will have year two of the newly rebranded competition. It will be the URC round one. We'll kick things off with Benetton versus Glasgow. Then it's Cardiff versus Munster. I'm told that that one's actually postponed by a day um, because of trying to deal with logistics of the Queen's funeral and so on. Uh, Zebra versus Leinster will be next. It's a good thing Zebra have that home field advantage, eh? That'll be a, oh wait. Anyway, then it'll be Lions versus Bulls, Scarlets versus Ospreys. It's somehow ironic after my lovely little chat with uh, with Stefan Thomas this week, how the two teams he picked to potentially make the playoffs for, what, for out of the Welsh regions, they have to have and one or the other a loss right off the bat. But I mean, that's just the way it goes. Anyway. Next up is Ulster versus Connacht. Ooh, that'll be nice. And finally, Edinburgh, to end out the week, will be facing the Dragons. John and Craig, my friends from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, I see both your teams getting opening wins this weekend. But now that I've said that out loud, y'all should be very worried. So wheeling back down to New Zealand for the end of round six and the begin- and uh, all of round seven of the NPC, of course, we have our sweet little Wednesday matchup, Powerhouse Waikato taking on bottom-feeding Southland. Might not be a great matchup. And then, starting Friday, it'll be Taranaki versus Manawatu, Counties Monaco versus Canterbury. Yikes. Uh, Auckland will be home for Tasman. And then, oh my word, another very serious defense this time of the Ranfurly Shield with Wellington paying a visit to Hawks Bay. That has to be the game of the week easily, right? Back up to France in the top 14 for round three. Six of the seven of these fixtures will be played on the Saturday, including Bordeaux-Begle versus Cast, Brive hosting Montpellier, La Rochelle welcoming another potential victim in Perpignan. Stade Francais will be taking on Bayon. By the way, I'm getting used to these names still. And all of a sudden, after seeing Bayon again, I was like, I want to see a matchup between Nocon and Playon. And if you could see how I spelled those things, you might laugh at least a tiny bit. Well, probably not. Anyway, next up will be Racing 92. They'll be at home for Lyon. Finally, on Saturday, it will be Poe at home uh, to face Toulouse, which looks like it could be a tool order for the... Sorry, sorry. I take it back. I apologize. Finally... On Sunday, it's Toulon. They'll be back at home to play Claremont, and that one should be top-notch. Here's hoping the replay actually works. Then, of course, the Super 6 also gets back into Super Gear for the next Super Round, but I'll come to that Super next Super Week. Please, Super, stay super tuned. Well, my friends, that does it for yet another week. And as always, it's been almost too much fun. For me, at least. Probably not you. (laughs) 
<laughs> in any case, uh, I'm very much looking forward to the URC starting up next weekend. Should be some very fun matchups. And this week, I'm going to try to watch at least a little bit of that Rugby Europe Super Cup thing. I feel like there should be some really cool stuff to see there. And of course, I will let you know what I find out. Also, do me a favor. If you could take just a moment to leave a nice review, you know, it would really mean a lot to me. It will also really help to grow the show, which is what I'm trying to do here. So, as always... Thank you again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.